The Ringers Nora Princiati and Nathan Hubbard are on a journey breaking down every single Taylor Swift album. For all you Swifties out there, this is the podcast for you. From her most famous moments to her most obscure references, every single album, Taylor Swift has it all. Check it out on the Ringer Dish feed, on Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Iced Tea. Great iced tea takes you somewhere else like new pure leaf blackberry iced tea that we have here at the Spotify studios and drink quite a bit where unexpectedly blackberry flavor transports you to a very delicious place. So refreshing you may never want to leave. You will eventually have to though, but take your time. Try new pure leaf blackberry iced tea. Visit amazon.com slash pure leaf and enter 20 pure leaf. That's 20 pure leaf for 20% off your purchase of new pure leaf Blackberry iced tea. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Doma Media. Thank you to Yola Tango for the intro music. Today, we are joined with a terrific actress, Kelly Marie Tran. She is the voice behind Raya, the title character in Raya and the Last Dragon. You can watch it on Disney Plus right now. Go watch it. It's one of those films that you can watch as an adult or as a kid, and it has, I think, the first all-star Asian ensemble it's unbelievable, uh, the voices behind it. So check it out. I loved it. My son loved it, and he can't stop talking about dragons. But uh, I've wanted to get Kelly on this podcast for a while. And if you haven't read her op-ed piece in New York Times, she wrote a, a powerful, moving essay a couple years back. Please go read that essay and go watch Star Wars again, The Last Jedi with Ryan Johnson, who was our very, very first guest on this podcast. Um, but at the end of the podcast, we talk uh, a little bit about food and a lot about banh mi's. And I've been eating a lot of banh mi's since uh, I've been in LA. And I've always eaten a lot of banh mi's wherever I go, whether it's Houston or New York. I've really, I've really eaten enough banh mi's where I think it's now my personally my favorite kind of sandwich. And I think it's important to break out how I view sandwiches. And this is just my own universe, my own buckets. I think there's three categories. One is the crusty loaf bread. That includes like heroes, subs, grinders, baguettes. The second category is anything that is in a soft square. It's got to be soft and it's got to be, obviously you can toast it so it gets crunchy, but it's soft and square. And the third category of sandwiches are anything that's round. So when I'm saying best in sandwiches, I'm saying the best in class in the my favorite in the crusty tube, crusty loaf bread type of thing. And oh man, banh mi is something that I grew up eating actually because there's some great Vietnamese restaurants in Northern Virginia. And I remember having it for the first time, never 
loving cilantro, but it's probably the only time I, I like cilantro and it had pickles and a daikon. I saw all these Asian ingredients in it in something that was like a, later I learned like a baguette and fusion in its very best form. And later eating it at Sambar when Tin Ho, the chef of Sambar in the early days, one of the best chefs I've ever worked with and someone that was instrumental in a lot of things, particularly the banh mi program that was so good. Eating those things uh, late night was one of my favorite things. And just in general, when I pass by a banh mi shop, more than likely I'm going to stop in and buy one. And here on the east side of LA, I got uh, Che Kali. There's a bunch of uh, sort of chains. Mr. Baguette, I don't think is a chain. You have missed, You have uh, Lee Sandwiches, which is honestly for its convenience and the fact that it's a drive-through system, at least the one in uh, Alhambra, uh, I've never had a drive-through banh mi before. And actually, I like uh, Lee Sandwich's uh, chicken wings. Pretty good. Um, Saigon Bakery's got a good one, a really good one. There's just, you know, it's one of those things where it's hard to find a bad one. And that's my love for banh mi sandwiches. And I think in the world of the two crusty bread baguette type of thing, banh mi for me is my personal number one. Number two is something that is still in the French vein, and, and that's the ham and cheese with butter, the, the hamon beurre. And if I see it with cornichons, that's something I'm going to love. I'm always surprised that I love it so much, and I don't even really want it like heated a little bit. I like it cold. There's no rhyme or reason. It's a very classic sandwich. I'm always surprised that I love it as much as I do, but it's just one of those things that tastes really good. And I think maybe it's because it's something I would make a lot working in for other chefs when you have bread and cheese and, and ham and just an ungodly amount of butter. Um, any combination of ham and cheese is something that's good, but particularly on a, on a good baguette. But that's something that, and again, if I pass by a shop that has a good or even decent hamon burr, I'm probably going to order it. And then our sandwich we talked about a couple podcasts ago was the French dip at Philippe's. Coles, obviously in LA, has an amazing French dip. Hailstones Group, which has a ton of names, uh, is pretty much my go-to when I eat at one of those restaurants. Uh, French dip, not always on a crusty loaf, but for the most part, I'm going to put it in this category of that bread shape. Um, in Philadelphia... I'm a big fan of John's roast pork. That obviously is not a surprise. A lot of people love it, but I just love that. And I'd also add, I think this is a my third favorite. And if I was in Atlantic City, maybe it's my number two. Uh, I love anything that's an Italian sub, with the exception of Subway. I just don't like Subway, but that's not true. I think I've the meatball meatball. Sub at Subway is something that if I'm in an airport and I'm hungry, I'll probably get that. But that's one of my favorite things is uh, just an Italian sub, especially at White House in Atlantic City uh, Institution there. A lot of people like the cheesesteak there. I think it's very good, but you got to go foot long Italian sub at White House that will not steer you wrong. And I think there's some debate. I don't know if Pull Boys, I'm not a po'boy expert, far from it. But I do love domiciles in, in New Orleans. 
because the ordering experience makes the sandwich that much better. And it has the coldest beer I've ever had in my life. And uh, their po' boys are just one of my favorite things. So banh mi's, ham and cheese, French dip, White House subs. Um, we probably should go into a little bit deeper conversation about the names of submarines. You have heroes, you have grinders, and I don't know the difference between the two. I think a lot of it has to do with the, the state, at least on the East Coast. The roast pork at John's and Doma Seals, if I'm pronouncing that, I always mispronounce that in New Orleans. Um, that would probably be my my top five or six, but I'm trying to find more places to get bun me. If you have more tips on the east side, your bun me shop, please send them my way. I'm trying to create my sort of Rolodex of where to get on me in Los Angeles and in, in anywhere. If you send them into the comments on our podcast iTunes thing, tell us in your comments where you'd like to get your Bon Mies in your respective towns. Um, that was it. Just want to ramble on about my favorite kind of sandwiches. And we'll probably talk about the square sandwiches and the round sandwiches at another time because, man, you can get in a heated argument. I want to make it very clear. This is just my favorites. It's not a complete list. It's just things that I think about. Well, I'll shut up now and let you get into our conversation with Kelly Marie Tran and you can check her out on Disney Plus on Raya and The Last Dragon and her new documentary that just won the South by Southwest Jury Prize. Lily topples the world. Check it out. We are joined with Kelly Marie Tran. I've tried to get you on this podcast for a while now, so I'm overjoyed that you're joining us today. And, oh my gosh. Um, yeah. I'm so excited. I know. <laughs> you have just uh, come out with a new movie, Raya and the Last Dragon. We'll get into that in a second. Is it weird that it didn't go straight to the movies? Is it? What's, what's your feeling on this? <sighs> my goodness. I mean, okay, my feeling is... I don't think anyone should be risking their lives to see a movie. So that's my first feeling. <laughs> um, my second feeling is like, you know, I think it, it would have been really cool to sort of have this moment to, as with any big projects, like wanting to celebrate with everyone who made it together in person, like that would have been wonderful. But at the same time, you know, we're sort of in unprecedented times. So I, I'm just really glad that it's out in the world and that people can see it now. Well, I, for one, am excited. I, I watched it with my son, and he has all the toys now. And that's the one <laughs> thing we just sort of decided, Ying, and I don't know about you, but with the pandemic, we just decided we're just going to let him watch animation and cartoons and things like that and all the Disney stuff. And uh, he's um, just uttering the word dragon every other sentence now. So thank you. Oh, my yeah, gosh. No. You've ruined my my entire life. As, as, <laughs> I mean, it, my life gets ruined every six weeks when my daughter finds a new thing. But now it's just every time we see a billboard, it's just Ryan. It's just like we have a whole freak out, and she's so excited. So this is a, an airing of grievances podcast, and I'm I'm mad at you. Yeah, it, that's what it is. It's a it's a real airing, airing of grievances because I don't have enough dragon toys. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! So. I have not really watched any animation uh, since maybe the little last Little Mermaid. I was going to say the Last Mermaid. Is it the Last Mermaid? <laughs> little Mermaid. No, there's lots of mermaids left. Well, like the more traditional stuff, and I've 
I stopped watching uh, most Pixar stuff after the movie that Ying liked and I didn't like, the one about the, <laughs> Inside the out. brain. Inside Out. <laughs> so this was a first. Like, I haven't really seen much, and I, I have to rewatch all of it, but it's the first, to my knowledge, of having an all-Asian American ensemble. Gemma Chan's not Asian-American. She's British-Asian. British <laughs> yeah, and same with Benedict, I think. But it, it was uh, it was so cool. Like, we... Obviously, because of COVID, we ha- we haven't been able to like all hang out in person, but just doing the press tour for this and, and doing it on Zoom and seeing all of their faces was such a cool experience. I've never done anything before where, gosh, I I, I don't know if this is, I'm like, I think this is accurate. I, I don't think I've ever done anything before where I was not like the only Asian. Uh, <laughs> that makes me feel really sad, <laughs> but it was so cool to like have all of them together on this Zoom call and for it just felt like. Uh, it's going to sound so cheesy, but it really felt like immediate family in a way. Cause we all, you know, everyone on that call has been the first fill in the blank, something like everyone's sort of dealing with the same stuff. And it was so cool to to have that camaraderie. Can we talk about that? What you just brought up as a strange moment, because for some listeners, they'd be like, I don't see what the big deal is for other listeners. They may not see the impact to later and others would be like, thank God someone's saying something like this. The first to be an Asian person. It's something that Ying and I talk quite a bit about. I feel that way a lot in my career, my profession. And there's been a lot of meta conversations about it. How do you feel about even talking about this stuff? Because like in one, one hand, I think it's good because you're sort of raising awareness. And the other is like, why is it my responsibility? Yeah. I mean, I guess I feel both of those things. You know, I think any person, depending on, on what industry you're in, you never want to be labeled as like anything. You don't want to be like, oh, I'm a I'm a female actor. I'm an Asian actor. You just want to be an actor or you just want to be whatever that is. You want to be hopefully judged on the merit of your art as opposed to having to feel like you are needing to wave this flag everywhere you go. But, you know, I I have this conversation a lot with, um, (laughs) I'm like going to bring up my mom, but (laughs) the other day I was talking to my mom and she was like, she's one of those Asian parents that like, doesn't really care what I do for a living. But the second it's in like the Vietnamese news, then it's like suddenly cool. (laughs) So she was, she was having this conversation with me and she very, like very offhandedly said, just stay out of politics. Okay. And I was like, like, I remember just being like so confused by it. And I I think the reason why I was confused by it, and I'm going to bring this back to your question. It's that sometimes you can exist in a space and your, your existence by itself is political. It's like, you didn't, mean to do anything political, but the fact that your presence in a space that historically hasn't made space for people that look like you or speak like you, like that is political in itself. So then you have to answer all these questions about what that means. And, and yeah, it's a lot, dude. I don't know. I'd love to hear what your opinion is on that. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's loaded and it's um, a long time coming. So I think it's okay for anybody that's Asian American and, and in a position where they're not the first or they are the first now and they're not alone to have a hard time articulating any of this stuff because how the hell would you know? And at least in my career, I fought very hard to never say I made Asian food ever. Mm. I always said I make American food and people like journalists would honestly not snicker, but they're like, but you make Asian food. I'm like, you're saying I make Asian food. Yeah. And I think it's a big distinction is I, I can say whatever I want, but you can't tell me what I'm making. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I'm friends with Steve Yoon and he just got nominated for an Oscar. Amazing. Yay, Steve Yoon. Love. Amazing. Yeah. 
And, you know, we've had a lot of conversations about it. And I was really proud that on an interview on Good Morning America, they were like, what's it like to be the first Asian American to do this or that? Or maybe be the first Asian American to be nominated for an Oscar, like an actor. And I was so happy that he said, like, why am I being limited as an Asian actor? I just don't want to be an actor. And I think it was um, important for me to watch. It's important that there are more people in the world of culture that have platforms to sort of reject that notion that I have to be anybody else's anything. Yeah. Um, So that's why when you brought that up, I was like, oh, this is important, I think, to talk about because it's weird to not acknowledge it. But at the same time, it's okay. This is weird because it is the first time that I've had an Asian ensemble. Yeah. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. But. <laughs> is that thing? Is that thing that she just talked about that, that Kelly just talked about though, where her mom was like, "Just stay out of politics. Don't don't make a thing." Was that something that your family ever? I mean, Dave, you're outspoken about so many things, but like, I mean, is your mom aware of that? <laughs> is what I'm asking you about. It only took five minutes for these three Asian people to talk about their moms, but Dave, like, <laughs> does your family like have any of that? Is your mom ever like, Dave? cool it with this or or no my mom just tells me my, my food's too salty <laughs> that's it <laughs> but like when you came out with and by the way you know I just commend you for everything that you've done in your career on screen but especially off screen simultaneously is what were your parents thinking when you were like I'm not taking this shit anymore you know was that politicizing it to your parents or to your mom I don't know it's kind of weird because I don't even know that we, I'm trying to think of the conversations we had about it. I think they were really proud in that moment too. At least when I, when I wrote that op-ed, that was something they were really proud of. Um, but it's interesting. Like, I don't even know what she really defines as politics. And I, I think I was in a, a situation where when she said that, I just was like, I gotta go, you know, it's like, <laughs> I was like, I can't have this conversation with you right now. Um, but yeah, I, I think they were really proud of that moment. And I, I was really proud of that moment. I think, honestly, I think maybe that might be the most proud I've ever been in my career is just like learning how to take up space and learning how to really recognize the power of my own voice. I don't think that was something that I learned in a young age. I think that's something that I'm like still learning, you know? I'm getting goosebumps right now on the Zoom call because just thinking about that moment about reading that op-ed because it was so awesome. It was so awesome. So I know it means a lot to me and to many others, but for you especially to say, like, this is who I am and and was just like take it or leave it. And I thought it was badass. So so I that's that's what I imagine like politics. It's like anything that you're not supposed to talk about, that's how I internalize yeah. it to your parents. Yeah. Yeah. I should ask her, I'm like, Mom, what do you define as politics? She'd be like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> She'd be like, whatever I don't want you to talk about, that's what politics is. <laughs> um, I want to get into the movie, but there's just so many things I wanted to ask you over these years. Yeah. What did your parents think of when you're like, okay, mom, I majored in communications. I want to be an actor. Oh, yeah. They were horrified. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> your politics. Horrified. It's just before politics, the conversation is what are you going to do as a job? <laughs> yeah. Man, I mean, you know, coming from, they're both boat refugees from Vietnam, came over to America and didn't have the opportunity of even getting an education. They fully just like went into working to provide for their younger siblings who they came over with because both their parents basically stayed in Vietnam. I think my parents didn't 
my mom didn't see her parents for over 20 years because they were still in Vietnam. So their families were sort of separated by by the war, by everything happening. And so because they didn't have this access to education, it became very, very important for their kids to be able to have education and for their kids to have, quote, the plan, which is sort of like this narrative that we all are sort of grown into in America, right? Like the plan, which is like go to college and then get a job and then have the house and get married and have the kids or whatever. Like this is like the the best plan for life, I guess. Um, so when I decided I wanted to be an actor, I think it was really scary for them. And they just thought I was crazy. And I think I thought I was crazy a little bit too, um, <laughs> because it's just such an impossible thing. And then at the same time, like I wasn't seeing really myself represented in that space either. So it was like doubly impossible. But yeah, my answer to your question is they absolutely disagreed with it. And 3000% wanted me to go to grad school. So yeah. <laughs> What was the backup plan? Or like, okay, I need to have something in case my parents are right and I am crazy and I'm going to fall back on this. You know what's crazy? Like when I think about it now, I actually think I was insane because I don't know that I had a backup plan. Like I was working a full-time job that would let me go on auditions, which was amazing, but I wasn't getting paid that much. Like I was barely barely making my bills every month. And I had, you know, as everyone does like rent and health insurance and car insurance and then a car payment. And then also this like hefty student loan payment every month. And I don't know how long I would have been able to keep doing that. And I have no idea what I would have done if it didn't work out. Like absolutely no idea. Um, That's probably why you succeeded not having a backup plan. Honestly, that seems like a really good plan to me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, because you have to be fully committed. You're like, all right, fuck it. I'm going to do this. I got to do this. You know, and you did it. Amazing. But like, what were the inklings? Like, I didn't have, you know, Chris became a a journalist writer and because he was smart and he did awesome in school and that's what he wanted to do. (laughs) Right. I, I didn't have like, my dad did not want me to be in the restaurant industry, but that's not why I got into it. It was just, you know, I didn't think I was going to be a chef. It was just something that never happened. Did you have anything growing up where you're like, yep, this is this Proustian moment and I'm now going to be defined by this and I want to be an actor? I think it was sort of a slow, gradual thing. Like when I was a kid, uh, my mom was super Catholic and she made us go to church every weekend. And because of that, like I started singing in church choir when I was like very, very young. And that was my first experience of like performing ish. And then throughout elementary school and middle school and high school, I would like do these like sing at like fairs and things like that, like locally. And then, um, in high school started getting really into musical theater in college, did acapella groups, like had a very pitch perfect sort of college experience. And now looking back, I'm seeing how much I loved it. And I'm seeing like how much I wanted to do it. But I also think in college, I was afraid and had no idea how to pursue it. And it wasn't really until when I was at UCLA. So I went to community college for two years in San Diego and was doing like community theater in San Diego, then transferred to UCLA. And while I was there, I worked a bunch of jobs, like sort of putting myself through college. And one of those jobs was at a headshot studio. And that was sort of my first foray into seeing people actually pursue acting. And also just like, I had never talked to anyone who was actually pursuing it before. I had never, I didn't know that there was like a whole community of people doing this crazy thing. And I think that was my first real inkling into, oh, maybe, maybe if these like, you know, these crazy people can do it, I can do it too. And I think that was my first moment of being like, oh, this is not just some fantasy land that seems like a faraway thing that's not for me. Like maybe this could be for me. 
And when you're doing this, who are you looking up to? You're like, wait, I'm looking up to these actors and actresses that are my sort of skin color. Like, I don't know of anybody. Like, can I think of any actor that was Asian, that was Asian American at least, other than who were they before, say, Sandro and the Daniel Day Kims of the world? Yeah, I mean, we had Lucy Liu. Lucy Liu. Uh, Brenda Song on Disney Channel. Uh, like, these are the only, I think these are the only people that I really saw at all. Ying, do you, who, who did you see? Jackie Chan, uh, obviously. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I think we saw Margaret Cho doing comedy. Um, what's her name from Twin Peaks? Joan Chen. Yeah, but they're they're few but far between, and, and all of it, you know, and James Hong, the guy who's like who plays every elderly Chinese man in every movie ever conceived. Mm-hmm. But it's you know, it's like what you said; they were all one offs. It was always one person. We were also all the Asian bad guys. Asian yeah, all yeah. the Asian bad guys. Yeah, yeah. So I find that to be super interesting to be like, okay, I'm still going to do this because I think that that's very difficult, and you know, I'm really close with Alan Yang. The producer, director, and he says it's, we're in the beginning stages of getting enough Asians to actually cast things, right? It's, we're just not open to the idea of, hey, you know, I don't want to say this is a monolith because no Asian's the same, but what is it about our cultures, Asian, Korean, Japanese, Chinese, Vietnamese, Laotian, doesn't matter, that prevents us from saying, this is a career path. You can be great at this. It's very weird. Yeah. <laughs> I think that you've you've talked about it before, Dave, in the context of whether it's cooking or acting or any sort of creative field, there's like a subjectivity to it and like subjectivity to its success that makes our I mean we're joking, but our parents are afraid of that subjectivity where you can be deemed to be doing a good job or a bad job or rejected based on something outside of merit. You know, if I'm an engineer, I can, I know what my metrics of success are. If I'm a doctor, I know my metrics of success. But if you're an actor for any number of reasons, and and I'm sure Kelly, like some of that fear probably came to pass with the Star Wars stuff and the backlash that has nothing to do with your performance, <laughs> uh, your ability, your, your talent, you know, and that's why I think our people in the Asian community are warded off. Our parents tell us, like, don't go into that field. You don't have any control over whether you're going to succeed or not. I don't know. Uh, and I'm going to bring it back right now to the movie. I was thinking, when I saw the, when the, the character of Namari and her mother played by Sandra Oh, I feel like that, their culture and their belief system is the same kind of belief system that prevents Asian Americans to pursue anything outside of their comfort zone. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, we got to do us. And this is what we do. And you don't go outside of this. Mm. And I think it's ingrained in us somehow or some way. And I don't know. I'm not an anthropology major. Far from it. Uh, actually, I never even took one class in anthropology. So I have no <laughs> idea what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> but, but like, I, I feel like before we can sort of see it, we need to start talking about it. Like, what is it about acting that seems to be like you can't do it? or Like, comedy be, seems to be one thing that Asians can do. But acting, animation, all of these things are not yet the norm. Am I wrong in thinking this way? I don't think so. I mean, you know, I think we we talked about it earlier, but the fact that we have to still say like, you're the first this, you're the first that, it means, it means exactly what you're saying, which is that it's still not a norm. You know, I've been thinking a lot lately about 
not just the systems that we're born into, but also the ways in which we're part of them and how it's crazy to grow up in a world that sort of is also telling you a narrative about what your people are like, like this is your place. And it's not even like explicitly said, but it's just implicitly done within like the ways that people interact with you or the ways people react to you. Um, I went to the anti-Asian hate rally this weekend and I was listening to all of these incredible people talk about just this thing about how the system works and how we are also unknowingly playing our part in it and how it is so damaging. And it just like made me so emotional to think of all the times when I was younger, like not really understanding my emotions or or how I was feeling about a situation and then just sort of falling into the exact place that the system wants me to fall into. You know, I was, I'm reading this book called Mediocre right now. And the author's, she was talking about how, uh, everything is quote, like a, it works by design. The system is working by design. So when you're reacting or when something happens and you feel like it's this crazy thing, you're like, no, this is actually, the system was designed for us to react this way so that we fall back into the place in which they want us to be in. And it's just making me like, I don't know, dude, I feel like I'm on this journey of, of trying to dismantle all these things, but also within myself, like how are the things, how is this thing working inside of me? And it's like, I'm my own worst, worst enemy. Like, I don't even know. I don't even know how in, entrenched I am in it. It's crazy. Difficult conversations to have. Uh, I know. <laughs> but I, I'm glad that we're having it because we have to, right? And, and, and to see a world where you can play a character that's not one day or someone else, their skin color doesn't sort of have to like presuppose what they look like on screen or what they're at. You know, like I... I think about it in food because it's just easier for me to think that way. In Japan, some of the best French and Italian chefs are not French or Italian. You know, and it's just like we're headed towards this merit thing. And that's what I hope that we're after. Mm-hmm. Do you think that we can get there where it's going to be something where people are like, oh, you're no longer going to be judged by your skin color as like, oh, Kelly is the first this or the first that. Mm-hmm. I know we can think that but is it practical that people are no longer ever going to allow that to happen? Like, I I don't know. I, I This is where I get a little bit depressed because I feel like it's always going to be typecast as this thing. You know, just like food in America, Asian food is always this thing that's different. It's always the ethnic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. These are, these are, again, tougher, tougher things. But we need people like you to sort of help break this sort of the, the stereotypes of what is possible. Because as much as Chris and I can do, you know, things with food, at the end of the day, what you do has the biggest reach. Way bigger than, you know, just because you have to eat something. You can't make that a downloadable experience where millions of people can sort of consume it simultaneously. But think about how many people viewed Raya over the past week or so, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it's the same thing why I tell people like Steven and Alan, like, you, you guys have an enormous burden, whether you want it or not because this has never happened before and no Mm. one understands what's possible here. Yeah. It's almost like, I always feel like I'm like in the dark and my eyes are closed and I'm like trying to like feel around and figure (laughs) out where I am and where I'm going. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, it's a really interesting thing. And it's, it's sort of like, just like you said, you know, I think there's two sides of it because there's the side of, of wanting to just be seen as an actor and have it be merit-based, like you said. And there's also the other side of like, when when we're being labeled as the first fill in the blank, 
maybe that's not for me. Like maybe that's for, you know, some kid in Kansas who's never seen anyone like that. And maybe they need to see that. So like, that's what I always think is like, there is something on the other side of it that is like worth being celebrated for anyone who might not have seen themselves in that space before. I feel like when we're talking about, you know, back to this journey of when I was younger and not feeling like I had seen myself in things before, would I be happy to read a headline about someone else? They'd be like, yeah. But then when I'm there and I'm in the headline, I'm like, oh, that's a lot of pressure. So it's like, <laughs> it's, it's sort of this double edged thing that I, that I think I, maybe we're all trying to process. Um, yeah. To be completely honest with you, I think that when I I first started seeing previews for this movie for Raya and the Last Dragon, and you know I knew that you were in it and 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 everything, I my first thought was, I mean I I was I was so happy to see you in Star Wars, and I think my I was like I had some hesitation over this movie because I thought it will be. A shame in some ways if she is celebrated for this role that's an Asian role, sort of like in an Asian context with mm. martial arts and Asian folklore as the background, and yet not as celebrated for breaking into the gigantic world of Star Wars. And, you know, I thought, I, I was like, oh, I told Dave this too. And I said, you know, like, I don't know, like, I'm a little bit on the fence. I'm not sure if I'll be super happy that she gets celebrated for the Asian role and and because it's so Asian. Yeah, you did say that. And I was like, let's watch the film. And I, and this is a part of a lot of the larger conversation, Chris. I was like, regardless, I think you have to sort of support it and celebrate it. And I was like, this on the one hand, you have to say like, this is the first. This hasn't happened before. That's exactly it. And 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 Kelly, you were just talking about, you know, a fir- like the first time somebody in Iowa sees this. And that's mm-hmm. what happened to me. My I watched it with my daughter and I realized this is just part of her experience now growing up. She Mm -hmm. will have this as an anchoring point in her life that her and all of her friends thought it was really cool, that this movie Mm -hmm. was just very cool. And we didn't, I didn't have that. And I thought, you know what? Of course I want, I want like Kelly and Steve Yoon and all the Asian actors to have wild success in roles that aren't just about Asian culture. I want them to have Mm -hmm. all the success in the world. But this is a step, this is a huge step forward, I think, is what I came around to. And just that that my children will grow up with a completely different context for what's possible in the world. And so, you know, maybe I want you to be recognized for everything you do, uh, you know, on the same level. But it's really important that, like, this was successful as well, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Interesting. I guess I never really thought about it that way before. Um just in terms of what you were saying about the the difference between a piece of art that's specific to culture versus breaking into something that has historically not made room for anything like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to think about that. Um, but that being said, I, I do think, you know, what you were saying about the generation younger than me, even uh, us, uh, being able to sort of be normalized in having this sort of wide ranging representation is, is so important. And so, um, it's funny because, you know, we're always having these conversations about representation, how important it is and, and what is authentic representation and all these questions. But Daniel Day Kim said this and I keep quoting him, but it's so true. Like he, he said the goal is for our kids to not even have these conversations. Like it's so normal. They're just growing up and they see themselves everywhere and they don't have to like dissect everything the way that we do because we have grown up in this, um, sort of environment of scarcity when, when there is 
zero to very few representations of yourself, of course, you're going to pick it apart. Of course, you're going to want every single representation to be authentic to you because when else will you get it? Like there's that sort of scarcity that comes with that. But I love the idea. I love thinking about, you know, if I ever have kids, those kids not even having these conversations, like that's kind of the dream, right? (laughs) That's exactly the dream. And I think it's hard to remind yourself of that. And that's why anything that has a platform should be celebrated because you can't fix this overnight. I mean, how can anyone that's not Asian understand what representation is if they've never seen it before? It's such a foreign concept. And again, not to bring this back to food, I've seen this over 20 years. People know more about Asian food than ever before. We have scratched the surface. Mm-hmm. You know, I meet people that are white kids, friends of mine. They're kids that know that there's different types of kimchi now. That's <laughs> so crazy to me. It takes time. And you just sort of have to be persistent in making sure it's part of the cultural conversation. And I keep on thinking the people that are listening to this podcast, they're like, whoa, you guys talk about a lot of different things. I don't know if I like it when you guys talk about this Asian American stuff. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You know, I like it when you talk about Asian Asian food and Asian American yeah. stuff, you know, but uh, this isn't it. And I'm not trying to generalize. Sorry, you know, but sorry, listeners. I'm, excited. I'm so excited for the comments. Oh, <laughs> uh, bring them, bring them. Um, but that's the thing is like, I have this platform and these are moments where we do talk about it because it hasn't happened before. And if it's mm. a changing course for a listener because they're not used to it. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. We have to sort of interrupt your normal schedule programming. Not because we've honestly had almost anybody that's come out with anything in Hollywood on this podcast because Mm -hmm. I think a lot of our audience is Asian American and a lot of them aren't Asian American. That's fine too. And this is how they're going to learn about it. But for people that are Asian American, it's important to be able to say like, this is a community. doesn't mean we all agree. Mm-hmm. but we have a forum where we can talk about something at the very least. And honestly, shit like this podcast or you being in a, a movie from Disney, that never happened before. So I think we need to have this meta conversation of what does it fucking mean? Yeah, no, I, I agree. And the problem is, is like everything is so complicated and so nuanced. And it's just like what you said before, where it's like, we've never done this before. So of course we're all sort of like, trying to figure out like what all this means and and what is the meta conversation and what does it mean for society and yeah i think like what you said like these conversations are important because there are also people in the world who have never thought about that before who've never had to and then there's other people you know like us or the plethora of other multi-hyphenates in the world who have to answer to it all the time it's a very interesting conversation This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. 
Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. It's funny when I think about it, your character in Star Wars rose and, you know, I'm friends with Ryan and he was the very love first Ryan guest. Johnson. Yeah, we love him, love so, him much. so much. And, and, and Karina, they love were Karina. the very first podcast guests we've ever had. And, oh my wow. gosh. <laughs> very, very first. That is the sweetest thing ever. I yeah. love them so much. It's funny. It's like your character was exactly that. A future world not bound by anything. Yeah. You've already played that character. But the world we live in wasn't ready for it. Yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I don't, okay, so this is an interesting conversation. I don't think I've ever had this conversation before um, in this sort of context. But what I didn't know going into it was exactly what you said, like how the world was going to react in a way that really, to me, put me in this sort of like tailspin of like, oh, I need to figure out what all this means because I didn't understand it. I, I I think Ryan Johnson is like a true genius. Like he's someone who was like, no, we're, we're going to do this thing and we're going to subvert expectation. We're not going to have a character who exists for the male gaze. You know, like it, it was, he's a genius. But what I didn't understand were the things that were coming to me in terms of like, comments and, and, you know, racial slurs and these words that like I grew up knowing, but didn't understand the extent to which how deep the racism went. Like those were things that I had to deal with because I was living in a world and, and maybe it's like my own privilege, but I wasn't living in a world where people would just like come up to me on the street all the time and just like, you know, say all these racial slurs to me or give me these death threats based on what I looked like. And, and suddenly that, that was happening to me. And what does that mean? Not for me, but for the world. Like that was something that I had to figure out. I really felt like during that time, here was a girl who did not really understand certain parts of the world and then had everything sort of like come at her at the same time and then had to really figure out what that meant and figure out how I wanted to walk around in the world knowing all that information. I don't know how to explain that. I don't know if I'm doing that well. <laughs> no, you don't. You, you, Kelly, you don't have to because I think one of the things that's difficult about talking about any of this, besides you actually having to endure it, is when I think about it, I'm actually disappointed that there wasn't more support from the Asian community to back you as you were like, going through all of this, you know, you had support clearly, but I mean, like it should have been overwhelming. Like this is not fucking cool. <laughs> this is not acceptable. <laughs> and you specifically at that moment had so much, so much responsibility. And I just don't know if that was fair. And I think it's different moving forward. Right. I think that if Star Wars came out today, I don't think you're alone in that at all. Yeah. I, I would also venture to say, I never really, 
I don't think that the issue is any one person or, or any one community. I, I've never looked at it from a place of blame, if that makes sense. Like I've never been like, oh, I wish fill in the blank person had said something or I wish I never thought about it that way. I really, again, you know, bringing it back to the conversation we had before, I think the problem is the system and there are individuals working within the system that have been also influenced by it. I've been influenced by it. We all have. We've all grown up in this very specific culture. I I don't blame anyone for not saying anything. I don't blame anyone for... Um, I don't think it's any one person's fault, any one community's fault. I think that that's almost a distraction. Like We should just be looking at the system again because it is a system that has taught us all when to not speak up or when to speak up or how it's okay to speak up or how it's not okay to speak up or it's all a symptom of that. And, and we've all been affected by it. So I, yeah, I guess what I'm saying is I, I don't blame any one person. I, I really try. And even in my life, when I, when I think of, you know, specific people who have, who have said things to me or who have played a part in that time of my life in a negative way, I, I don't, blame them for it because I also grew up in the same system that taught me those same things. And I think it's all about looking inside ourselves and figuring out how we can dismantle it first from within ourselves. Yeah. And I'm still working on that. So we all are. And I think it's, you know, progress towards that solidarity. Right. And, and, and movies like this, even though I think it's, it's classic Disney, it's designed for kids, but it's, it's not It's designed for adults (laughs) with the messages in some ways, Raya actually has all those messages that we're talking about. And 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 it's fucking crazy that I can even say something strange like that, but it's true. That movie rules. I love Raya. <laughs> I love this movie. <laughs> I mean, listen, the, the, the ending, I'm, I try not to give away anything or everything, but it's. I think it's what we're talking about in a uh, maybe more coherent way. It's about solidarity, right? And it's uh, agreeing to disagree. Yeah, they're truly doing such a better job than than I am in trying to explain. Wow, wow, you really brought it back. You're really good at this. <laughs> <laughs> I've uh, I've never. I mean, speaking of people who are really good at things, I've literally never heard an interview with the star of a movie where she refers to the movie as that movie and, and that movie rules. Like that was truly so that genuinely was awesome. wonderful. <laughs> what? That movie that I'm in and star in, it rules. Like without dropping third person. <laughs> That's so good. That movie rules, yeah. No, I'm in it. It's true. I'm in it and it's I'm a star, but it does rule. Oh my gosh. It's so good. Oh my goodness. But no, I, I think you're right. Like every yeah, I don't want to I don't want to ruin it for people, but I, I guess I never really thought about it that way before. Like the lesson in the end is is sort of everything that we're talking about. It's not any one person's fault, really. It's just the world itself. And I don't know how we got here. And it's obviously broken in many ways, but the idea that we're all hopefully trying to step forward and and, and move towards a world that looks better than the one that we're living in is a very hopeful and important thing for, I know for me, moving through the world, wanting, wanting to do that. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have a feeling that I'm going to have watched Raya at least a dozen times this year, at least. And I don't even know the name of the plush toy where, where it's the, the snail. Tuk Tuk. Tuk Tuk. <laughs> I'll be honest. That's the one thing that scares the hell out of me. What? Why? <laughs> what, is, what is it? 
<laughs> it's like a is mammalian it, snail. It's, is, it it's, es, it's, is it escargot? Do I, <laughs> do I serve it with garlic butter? Oh, no. Oh, no. That's my initial thought. I was like, that would be a big, big escargot. Oh, my Especially escargot. It's like a little, it's, he's so cute. What are you talking about? He's got it like a personality. So cute. You can't escargot that little dude. Come on. Listen. My my version of Raya is not G. It's rated R. <laughs> and I'm eating that thing. <laughs> when the resources really get low. Who, oh, um, my goodness. Kelly, do you have, is there one person in your family who is like the representative cook? Do you have a great cook in your family? Oh, it's my mom for sure. What does she do? Such a good cook. Um, mostly Vietnamese food, to be honest. Um, pho, uh, bun sao. Uh, yeah. Like everything. She's so good. Wait, I didn't. I, sorry. I just got note. I didn't know that Tuk Tuk was an armadillo. I thought I must have. I thought <laughs> he was a snail. I'm like, dude, that's He's like up, a combination man. of a couple of animals. <laughs> okay. I was trying to get okay. you off of trying to kill that poor little Wait, did armadillo. You just, did you just get that right now? Yeah. They're like, what are you talking about? My wife just <laughs> t- texted me. She's like, you're an idiot. We watched that. And oh, it's an armadillo. Uh, whatever. In my world, he's a snail. <laughs> anyway, not to interrupt your your mom. Sorry, you grew up in the San Diego. Does San Diego? It's close to Orange County. Does it have good Vietnamese food? It does. Um, yeah, there's like a little Vietnamese town in San Diego. Um, it's not as big as Garden Grove, but there are some good Vietnamese restaurants down there. But my parents are like super cheap, so they never want to go out to eat. So they just like cook everything at home. <laughs> um, it's funny, but then yeah, my parents like. I feel like I could probably count. Like they never go out to eat. And then when they do go out, my dad is like the worst critic. Like he does this thing where he just won't even, if he doesn't like it, he won't say anything. He'll just like be eating and be like shaking his head silently. Like, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. And I'll be like, dad, do you, do you want to just go home? You want to go somewhere else? And he's, and he's like, just like shaking his head and eating again. Like doesn't want to waste the money that he spent on the food, but like hating the experience. So funny. <laughs> Yeah, Asian dads, the, the truly harshest critics. True Never make savage. Them happy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you cook at home? I do. I do cook. I don't know. I feel like I, I'm learning to experiment more in, in quarantine, just learning different things and, and trying to figure out how to make different things. But I'm not as good as my mom. <laughs> but do you like, oh, I'm going to make food? Do you I don't even, even try to make pho because I can just go home and my mom like <laughs> they she makes it in such a huge vat that it lasts for like ever. <laughs> so oh then God. sometimes I'll like freeze it and bring it up to my apartment and just have it there for <laughs> whenever I want it. Um, but no, I don't. I don't cook pho. I want some of that though, so badly. Good lord, I want. I've never had actually only a couple times, but I want to eat more home cooked Vietnamese meals. Really? Well, post-COVID, I, if you're ever in San Diego, I'll invite you over to my parents' house because my mom is the best. And is banh mi only like store-bought or street food-bought or do people make it at home? Um, I think you can make it at home. I've, I've, But it's really just like all these different ingredients you put together. Right. Right? It's kind of like a sandwich. So you, you, can, you can do that. I, I believe my, my parents have made it at home before, but it's also so cheap to buy that it's yeah. like so easy to just go get one. Um, I love, okay, this is like such a really niche joke, but I was in Vietnam after I did Last Jedi, I like left for like eight months and just traveled by myself. And I went to Vietnam and, and there was, uh, these little carts with banh mi 
And instead of like shouting out, I don't know if you've ever seen this before. They'll have these recordings of people just shouting and it just, there's this woman and she just says, bun me, nong day, which basically, basically is like hot bread, but it's a recording and it just like goes over and over as she's like, it is hilarious. Anyway. Uh, oh my God. Can, can we list just like a top five or what do you think are the best sandwiches? And we should do this for a real, real podcast. Best sandwiches in America. And I, I, I have a hard time with this because Bon Me, you have the entire East Coast Italian sub grinder hoagie thing. We'll just put that. Yeah. You have cheesesteaks. What like just American style sandwiches or the things that you can get in America. I, I personally think Bon Me is one. Bon Me is so good. Also, I think like, Bon Me is number one. There's so many different types of bun mi. Like my favorite is a uh, jiao, a jungjian, which is like, I don't think it's not like the normal one that people get, but it's it's like basically a, a pork meatloaf with like a fried egg in it. Have you yeah. had this one? Oof. Oh my gosh, it is so good. Oof. I think bun mi might be number one. I think bun mi might be number one sandwich in America, Dave. Wow, I, I really think so. And I'll give you another thing. You know, like tortas. I, I feel like. We need to really expand the idea of a, a, a sub sandwich. What is the best? Because I think most people think it's an Italian hoagie. Like, listen, I'm a big fan of the White House in New Jersey, Atlantic City, one of my favorite things. I love Italian subs. I love cheesesteaks. But I'm just now of the belief that bun mi is the best sandwich you can eat in America. And I'm not saying it because you're on there. Like, I, I've, I've eaten a lot of them. And He's not saying because you run a bun me shop. And, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. No, yeah, this, no. This whole interview is a plug for my bun me shop. <laughs> I, I'm not going to give any names right now. I am currently living closer to the SGV area, and there are a lot of places to get bun me. But I'm also not an expert on the Orange County area side. And the horror of this is I have never been to Vietnam. Wow, you gotta go. See if you could find that lady that I love so much. <laughs> I want to. I, and, and I'll tell you the, the, the reason why I have not been to Vietnam is I want to spend, as you did, like eight months. And I always thought that in between like a, a job before I started opening a restaurant or whatever, I'd have the time to go there because I love the food there, but I wanted to go deeper into it. And that was just something I thought I'd always have time for, to not just go for a week. I've had plenty of opportunities to go for a week, and I've mm -hmm. declined because I had such reverence for that food. I wanted to be able to spend enough time and to truly understand it. So that's the main reason why. It's not because of lack of opportunity. It's the lack of to do it properly. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, I can't wait to hear about your adventure when you do do it because I grew up with Vietnamese parents, but... There's just the differences between the regions of Vietnam, not only in the language, but the food is like crazy. So I'm really excited to hear your opinions on it when you, when you go. It really is like, it feels like it's three countries in one. It's very hard to explain. Uh, but the food is just so different in every region and also like the lifestyle. It's wild. Chris, you've, you've been to Vietnam, right? Chris? I've never, it's I, for the exact same reason. Like I, it's, it's the very top of my list. I feel deep shame for not having visited Vietnam yet. Deep, deep, deep no shame. shame. <laughs> no, just it's don't don't let us off. And we it's it's terrible <laughs> that we haven't been. Uh my only other question for you, you're I think you're our only San Diegan, our native San Diegan we've ever had on the show. Woo! Uh <laughs> other than your mother's cooking, 
and the proximity to Mexico and maybe French fries and burritos. Can you redeem San Diego for the rest of us Californians? As a wait, as what a, do you mean redeem? <laughs> <laughs> give me another reason to visit San you Diego. Hate San Diego? I, I, I got. I got. I don't have a lot of love in my heart for San Diego, but I'm willing really? to be convinced otherwise. What else? Give give us the San Diego pitch. Okay. Uh, San Diego rules. It's like LA, but more spaced out. And there's like not as many Instagram models. You know what I mean? It's just like people want to be healthy to be healthy, not to like be famous. <laughs> and, uh, there's so much, there's so much delicious food there. Like you said, it is really close to Mexico. So you have delicious Mexican food. And there's also, um, I feel like there's obviously the whole like beach scene, but then there's also like, uh, the, there's just such a wide range of terrain, and there's lots of beautiful hikes. Um, Kelly, you don't—I don't think you need to even answer this question. Chris <laughs> Ying grew up in Orange County, so he's just jealous. Number one, you know, he's trying to like wash off the Orange County MAGA Republicanism that he I grew up maybe loving. redirect redirect oh it towards God. San Diego. And, and, a little and bit. I think for anybody that hasn't been to San Diego, my brother lived there for a few years. I think San Diego has, and I've traveled pretty much all over the world. I genuinely believe San Diego has the best weather in the entire world. <laughs> really? In the entire world, San it's Diego. A, it's insane. <laughs> it's insane. It is this pocket of perfect weather year-round. Maybe you have like a month. San Diego is that type of place where you go and people are complaining, oh, it's humid. It's like, no, it's perfect. It's 75 degrees and perfect. It's, they're so spoiled with the weather. So spoiled. So spoiled. It's a microclimate like no other. And that reason alone, you should go there. It's really nice. The only thing I don't back about San Diego is the weird, not weird. I should not use those words, but the, <laughs> the, the, like, the squid burgers and all the fried squid stuff that I feel like <laughs> it's just too much. Mm, mm. Too much. I remember actually having a squid burger, like a fried squid burger. And I just, I just can't do it. But all props to the carne asada fries. Yeah. And the California burrito. California burrito. I mean, and fish tacos. Fish tacos seem to be everywhere om omnipresent in the San Diego area. I love San Diego very much. I don't know what Chris is talking about. So anybody that's <laughs> listening from the San Diego area, you can email Chris at... <laughs> <laughs> Just once again, not my email address. Once again, no, we should probably email address. address. And it belongs to an actual employee of our company who will be very sad oh to get this No, just ask Dave at majordomemedia.com. That's what I wanted to say. You should bombard him with what the F. San Diego's yeah. great. Fine. San Diego Fine. rules. Oh, God damn it. I thought I could really get some redirection from poor Orange County here, but it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> um, anyway, w thank you for joining us. What uh, are, what else you got in, in the pipeline? Uh, I have this. Actually, I'm really excited about this. Like the first thing I'm executive producing, which comes out this next week at South by Southwest. It's a documentary about this young uh, girl, Lily Havesh, who's the number one domino artist in the world. And I'm really, really excited about it. It's, it's wait, wait, domino as in literally dominoes. Yeah, like, okay, I, I know it's like crazy, but you watch these videos and it's like, she sets up all these dominoes, like thousands at a time, and then she topples them. But I don't, I'm very bad at explaining it. It's like so wonderful to watch. I think she has over like a billion views on YouTube or something of just like dominoes toppling. It's wild. 
I'm looking. I'm looking at some of the stuff right now, Dave. This is like your. This is like building a sand mandala. They put so much effort in just to destroy it. This is incredible, actually. I'm watching it's amazing. some stuff. That's you awesome. You gotta watch it. What did you say the the doc is called? It's called Lily Topples the World, and it comes out. Awesome. Yeah, premieres at South by on the 16th, which is wait, is that today? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> by the time this comes out, it'll it'll premiere, and. uh is there any way to watch it? I think you have to be registered to watch it. Uh, like registered to like be a, a South by person. Uh, I'm doing a very bad job. I don't think I'm even allowed to watch it on this link. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well, I'm excited to check it out. Yes. I was going to say, you just give out your personal link. Everyone can share it. Just I know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're all giving out our personal emails on this, on this yeah. podcast, right? <laughs> I actually gave the wrong email. It's actually to a different Chris. <laughs> oh, man. Well, well, Kelly, uh, I appreciate you joining us. And I know we had a meandering conversation about all kinds of things that I don't think any of us knew how to talk about. But yeah. uh, it's important that we talked about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, uh, to hear the final meandering episode. <laughs> all right, guys. Hopefully you enjoyed that conversation with Kelly Marie Tran. I'm going to watch Star Wars again tonight. The one with Ryan Johnson, The Last Jedi. I think if you were on the fence, watch it again. I think it is by far one of the most important Star Wars, maybe the best Star Wars. But um, check out Raya and The Last Dragon. I'm telling you guys, if you have kids, they're going to love it. I don't know what Disney does, but man... They really, really know what kids want to watch. And thank you, Kelly, for joining us. Give us five stars, however you rate this podcast, on our iPod iTunes page. However you listen, just give us five stars, and we will give you five stars. Uh, That one's for you, Isaac Lee. Stay tuned for another podcast this week. Stay safe, everybody. Go get your vaccinations.